0: My name is Tommy Jones, I'm the pastor of this particular establishment, so now we've met. But if, um, we've been going through this year of the Bible together, and last week we actually started down a path called the Roman's Road, and I made that up. I I made up the the title Roman's Road. Um, You know what? (laughs) Security. Um, No, really, just, just as a reminder, show of hands, how many people had heard of the Roman's Road before last week? Just put your hands up. Good, 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 good. That's good. Uh, The rest of us have not. And and one of the things I love about this place is we, we, by the grace of God, have created a place where people who didn't grow up in church want to go to church. Give it up for that. That is so beautiful. Now we're glad if you grew up in church that you're here, but man, it's just this is so great. This the mix of people in this room. So just a reminder, or maybe a first time if you've never heard of it, the Romans Road is some specific passages from the book of Romans that sort of becomes a cliff notes of a path to to surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. So somebody took Paul's letter to the church at Rome. Remember, Paul was not writing a book called Romans, he was writing a letter to this church in Rome. Somebody took his letter, went through it and found some very specific passages, laid them over the teachings of Jesus and said, this is a road, a pathway to surrendering your life to Christ. And so we're traveling down the Romans road together. And for those of you who grew up in church, you know this is old-time religion. This is not a new concept. The difference is we're taking this old stuff and we're traveling the road in a brand new way. So whereas in the past, I think people have taken these scriptures and used them to beat people in the head, that's not what we're doing. We're not going to use these scriptures to go out and tell the world, you're a bunch of sinners because we don't believe that's very effective. We believe it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict the world. It's our job not to turn the world off before the Holy Spirit turns the world on. That's our job. But we do deal with sin in this room because we believe that sin matters, and we're trying to to deal with it and live a life that that resembles Christ. So we're traveling this road, but we're doing it in a new car. Maybe the first time you traveled the Romans Road, you know, you were in like a, a 1942 Studebaker. Now we're doing it in a 2019 Dodge Charger. Hammer down, baby. Amen. If you ain't first, you're last. So (coughs) Ricky Bobby said that. Ricky Bobby's dad said that. Anytime you can quote Ricky Bobby's dad, you know we should just stop. I quoted Ricky Bobby, that's it. But so we're traveling an old road in a new way. But listen, for those of you who are old school, I'm not adding to it, and I'm not subtracting from it. I'm not adding to the gospel, I'm not taking away from the gospel. So don't email me, because I'll just let Kenley read it. All I'm doing is taking the old and delivering it in a new way. And my hopes is by doing this, it becomes understandable for a new generation. All right? So last week, we started down this path called the Romans Road. And we started with with two verses. And the first one is Romans 3.23. And it says this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." And the next verse was Romans 6:23, the first part of it. It says, "The wages of sin are death." So basically our first stop told us a couple of things. One, all have sinned. Your little baby, your little six-pound eight-ounce baby, was not born perfect. They were born into sin. Paul said, I am sinful even in my mother's womb. And so we are are born into a world where sin has corrupted things so much that we are all stained with a sin gene. And so we are born sinners. And don't try to compare yourself to somebody else. Say, well, I'm not as much of a sinner as they are. It doesn't matter. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory. And all sin, even your sin, even my sin, leads to death. Death is the result of sin. Sin separates you from God. And so the result of sin is physical death. The result of sin is spiritual death or eternal separation from God. The result of sin is the death of your dreams and your hopes. It's the death of the God-given plan for your life. It's the death of maturity and humility and community and generosity. The result of sin is death. And so we start by understanding that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And this isn't God condemning us to death. It says the wages of sin, meaning what we earned for what we did, because a wage is something you earn, what we earned for what we did was death. All right, so now we make our next stop, and I am far more excited about this one than I was about last week. Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Oh, that's good. The wages, what you earned was death. What I earned was death. But the gift is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Like one we earned, one we deserved, one we did not, one we were freely given, death we deserved, life we were handed. It says the eternal life in Jesus Christ. This is the gift in the whole story. As you're reading this book, the whole story is pointing to this, to this solution that is Jesus Christ, the solution who's always been. God, in in the Old Testament, God is using the rules of the world. He's operating through the kingdoms of the world to bring about a solution that's not of this world. He's, He's using the rules of sowing and reaping and life and death to bring about a solution that is Jesus Christ. And God always knew the plan. There had to be payment for sin. God is just. Sin caused death. So God said, how about this? I'll pay the price for your sin. My son will die in your place and that will be the just. And the grace is, now you can have life. Freely given. Romans 5, 6 through 8. I I love the way this says it right here. Romans 5. I didn't even get past this verse in the last gathering. I just stopped right here and just sat in silence for about 15 minutes. Don't worry, I won't do that to y'all. Listen to this, man. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. You know why no one will die for a righteous person? Righteous people are annoying. It says, very rarely anyone die for an annoying person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for a righteous person. He didn't die for the good person. He died for sinners, which we've determined is everyone. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Like, guys, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the story. Like that's why Katie, Katie Neal and I talked about this. I had such a hard time writing a sermon around this because in my heart, I want to be a place in a place with God. But when I read that verse, when I see God died for me while I was still a sinner, when I read that, I just want to stop and just begin to worship. And I want to cry not because I'm sad, but because I'm happy and because I'm free. And I just want to feel so connected with God that the rest of this does not require an explanation. That's it. We're done. Like that's where I want to get. And by the grace of God, that's where our will will end up and you too. This place where we can just, man, we can just read that verse. Maybe just once a week or something with our family. Hey guys, you remember this? Christ died for us while we were still sinners. And it just becomes this this truth that we actually treat as truth. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Sinners, It said, while we were powerless. Do you know why we were powerless? We were dead. Dead people have no power. It said, while we were powerless, while we were dead, Christ died for us. The, the most compelling analogy I can think of of this is, if Christ is the groom and we are the bride, then Christ married us while we were being unfaithful. Like in the midst of our unfaithfulness, the groom made us the bride. If you came to me for premarital counseling and you said, hey, we're gonna get married, my spouse is cheating on me a lot, I would say, don't get married. Like, wait this thing out, pump the brakes, right? But Christ died for us while. We were being unfaithful. And this is what blows my mind the most about this whole thing. I would understand if Christ died for us because dying for us would automatically guarantee every single person eternal life. I could get that. Like, I'm down. If that, I wish that was true. And there's a lot of people who think it's true. There's a lot of churches that teach that's the truth. I wish that was the truth because I could understand that. Christ, you died and we're all automatically saved. No more free will, no more sin, no more choice. I'm just in because you died. He didn't die to automatically save everybody. He died to give you the choice. He died to give you the choice. That makes no sense to me. He didn't take away your free will, He died so that you could choose freely choose Him or freely not. Can you not imagine how the spirit grieves when someone chooses anything other than Christ? Like he, he wanted us to have the choice. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. I've just got that written in my Bible over and over and highlighted. 1 Timothy. One fifteen says it like this, and this is good too. Man, he's writing. So Paul's writing a letter to his buddy Timothy, and Timothy's the pastor of another church. And, and here's what Paul says: Here's a trustworthy saying. By the way, if you start off your sentences with "I'm being honest," I assume everything else you said was a lie. But that's not the case here. That's Paul, you really should believe this one. And he says, "This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance." Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But listen to this. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. He said that Christ died to save sinners. Paul said, I was the worst. Y'all remember, Paul was there when the first Christian was martyred. He killed Stephen. Paul was there. He was part of a a murderous group of people who ran around killing Christians. And Paul said he died to save a guy like me. And the message of this book from cover to cover is God's pursuit of broken people. Like we chose sin. And no matter what sin you've chosen, it's equally as disgusting to God. I don't think all sins are the same because some of them make me a lot angrier than other ones. Right? Like, if you're going really, if you're going 35 and a 55, that makes me angrier than if you're going 65 and a 55. All sins aren't the same, but they're all equally disgusting to God. And James, at one point, Jesus' brother, said, If you violate one part of the law, you violated the whole thing. Yikes. But God died to save sinners. Your current condition has no authority over your life. Your current condition has absolutely no authority over your life. As a matter of fact, if you were caught in some sort of sin, you are exactly the one Christ came to save. Like, do not get it confused. If your sin has not disqualified you from his grace, as a matter of fact, your sin has qualified you for his grace. You are the one he came to seek. And so if you find yourself in a situation today where you don't know what to do, you don't know where to go, you don't know how to deal with the pain, you don't know how to deal with the guilt, you don't know how to deal with the remorse, you don't know how to deal with the sorrow, and so you find yourself sitting in church going, I don't know why I'm here, but I'm here and I need something, then I want you to hear this. Me too! Like, your story is my story. I found myself in church one day going, I have no idea why I'm here, but my God, I want you. So if that's you, you're here for the right reason. You're here, and this is not religion. Religion, this is the opposite of religion. I remember one of my friends, and I know I've talked about this before, he said, man, I I got a problem with organized religion. I got a problem with organized religion, too. This, let me tell you what religion says. Religion, like this is the un-religion. As a matter of fact, for, for most of the, of the first century, the Romans thought Christians were atheists because what they believed was so counter to what everyone else, religion says this, there are steps I can take to access God, right? And if I'm good enough and I say the right things and I obey the rules and I do the right things, eventually I can get access to God or I can get access to a place where I achieve a level of peace. And by doing the right thing and saying the right things and following the rules, I can get to this perfect place. That's religion. Jesus said, Admit you're jacked up and I'll come to you. Like that. Religion? Practice? That's Alan Iverson. This is the opposite of religion. This is a relationship with a God who said, Admit. Your heart is heavy, and I will carry your burden. Admit your pride is too great, and I will humble you. Admit your doubt, and I'll walk with you in it. Admit your pain, admit your sin. Just admit it. Admit you need a Savior, and I'll save you. That's not religion. That's the most beautiful conversation the world has ever had. Listen to Luke 5. This is good. I think we did Luke last week. but Luke 5, 31 and 32 says, Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus didn't just come to call those who are actively engaged in some kind of sin. Like when I read this book, it's like I really believe he's casting a rather large net. Are you mourning? Do you feel persecuted? Are you, are you, are you meek? Are, are you Whatever it is, whatever pain sin has caused in your life, it's not always you're doing something that's labeled a sin. Are, are, you, are you battling addiction? Are you, are you battling uh, trying to hold a marriage? Like, what is it? Whatever it is, whatever situation that you now realize you cannot handle on your own, Christ is stepping into that situation and saying, I came here for you. I'm here for you. I'm here because I want to be with you. I'm here because I want to save you. I'm I'm here because I, I, I can help you. Like whatever situation you're in, he's walking directly into it and saying, I want to walk with you now, just as you are, in spite of who you are. I want to spend life with you. And that is the good news of Jesus Christ. He came here to seek and save the lost, but he didn't just come here to find us. He came here to transform us. I think, I think for a lot of people today, and I'm going to say this while I fidget so that I can say it without feeling bad. A lot, a lot of people today think God came here to affirm you. God does not affirm death. He transforms death into life. God didn't come here to affirm my sin. He, he came here to, I, it's like we think God is like, like if, if you picture if someone's dying of cancer, someone you love, and this is not offensive if you've ever lost someone with cancer, so have I, my grandparents, but like if someone's dying of cancer, the kind thing for you to do is to sit in the hospital and hold their hand while the disease kills them. you got no power over cancer, right? So you sit there beside them and you love them and you pat their head. and tell them it's going to be okay and you hold their hand. Sin is a disease that's killing you, and God did not come to hold your hand and tell you it's okay in the midst of it. He came to save you. He has the power to crush the disease. It's very, 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 very different. He's not, I mean, he'll he'll hold your hand in it, but he also has power over it. And so we must understand this: God is not just sitting there passively, this is not the notebook. This is very different. God has power over whatever you think has power over you. And there will come a time when he will hold your hand and walk you. But eventually he's going to say, all right, now I'm going to crush it. I'm going to crush whatever's taking power over you. I'm going to crush it. I'm going to destroy it because I have the ability to do it. And that's the good news. That's the story. Romans 6, 1 through 7. This is what I wanted to get to for a while. Romans 6. Listen to this, man. He says, what shall we say then? This is Paul. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? How many of y'all tried that? I did. But by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will be united with him in resurrection like his. Gosh, that's good. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. We will no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Can I tell you something? Sinner's not your name. It was never meant to be. Your identity is not based in your weakness. Your identity is based in the victory of God. You can walk around like Eeyore for the rest of your life. You can do that, but you're wasting the life you've been given. Like we have been set free. But there's still sin in my life, right? I mean, God God has redeemed me. God has saved me, but there's still sin in my life. And I know for, for many of us, even in this room right now, for many of us who know Jesus, at some point we will, we will step into some sin, we will choose some sin, and you know what we'll do after that? We'll cut off the body of Christ and we'll run. We'll run because we don't want to hear the truth. And I want you to know, if, 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 if you're in some sort of sin and you're contemplating running from God, you are running from the very one who died to save sinners. Where are you running to? Like, what's a better option than Jesus Christ? And so if there is still, there's still sin in my life, guys. I know y'all think he's probably totally perfect. Most of y'all think that. You're like, this guy is amazing. There's still sin in my life. There's things I deal with. There's just thoughts, pride, whatever, man. There's sin in my life. But let me tell you, the, sin, the difference in me today And the difference in me before I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ was this. The sin that's in my life now will not live in peace because there's a war inside of me. Sin has, this is not not a comfortable place for sin to reside anymore. It's in there, but it's in a battle. And I know who wins the battle because the battle's already over because Christ died and he saved me and I am free. So the battle I'm fighting, I know who wins. So sin remains, but it no longer reigns because sinner is not my name. It's just not who I am. You still struggle with some sin? Me too. We win. It doesn't it doesn't have to win. Like there is power in us. Christ died to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Let me say this if if you will will even give God a chance to convince you of that one thing, then you will eradicate hopelessness from your mind. There is no hopelessness in the kingdom of God. There is none. There is never a moment that is hopeless in the kingdom of God. We must understand that. We must start telling people this. Like we got to start living into this. There is no hopelessness in the kingdom of God because Christ did not come to, to fix me at my best. He came to transform me at my worst. So there is never a moment that is beyond his mercy and beyond his grace and beyond his strength and beyond his love. Never. Like never. This world has no power over my hope because my hope isn't in it. There is no hopelessness in the kingdom of God. Guys, we have seen some things in this place and I am more convinced today than I have ever been convinced. We must take the fight to the world. Like we have to be a people who demonstrate this hope we have and we have to be a people who demonstrate this peace we have and we have to be a people who demonstrate this love we have and we have to be a people who believe that Christ died to save sinners even people who commit sins we don't like. There's work to be done. Where's Rachel? Rachel, come up here for me, for, me for just a second. Here's what I want to do for just about like three minutes. Because I know the attention span of this, of this particular gathering. <laughs> three minutes. Five minutes until, until, I'm, until I'm done. Here's what I want y'all to do. I just want you to believe that Christ loves you. Like that's it just for a few minutes we're all on equal ground here every one of us equal ground doesn't matter what equal ground every person in this room right now totally and completely equal there is no slave in this room not anymore there doesn't have to be what if it's true what if it's true What if he knows your every thought? What if he knows every desire you've ever had? Yeah, even that one. What if he knows and completely he loves you? I've staked my life that that's the truth. Because if that's not true, I have no life. Just for a minute. Can we just sit together and just thank God that He loves us? Like Two, three minutes. Just inside, just bow your head right now, right where you're at. Right where you're at. Just in your mind. Just be with God, just for a second. If what I'm saying is true, then you are completely free. If what I'm saying is true, there is a day with no more mourning, and no more sorrow, and no more pain. And if what I'm saying is true, then you are not defined by that sin. If what I'm saying is true, choice is clear. Just take a minute, just in your own mind, see what he says to you. He's real. Like He's real. It's true. He loves you that much. (laughs) Completely. He knows your doubt. He knows your fear. He knows it all. He knows that worry you've got about your son he knows the worry you've got about your marriage he knows about that bill you think you can't pay he knows about your pain he knows that victory and he loves you completely and if that is true there is life If that is true, the world should see something incredibly different in us.